Welcome to the Heroes Church Podcast. Our vision is to build Christ-centered communities of imperfect people for the city. Now, let's listen to Pastor Z as he shares the scripture message. Good morning and welcome to our first worship service of June. And uh, I'm so glad to see you guys here, especially as uh, we finished our anniversary service last Sunday. So today we're running through the start of a book study. Normally every June we we start a book study and this month we'll look at a short book study, but nevertheless very important, which is from the book of Philippians. So we're taking uh, one chapter each Sunday and we'll have the privilege this month of listening from our elders as uh, Elder Noel will take next Sunday and Elder Scott will take the end of of this month. So I want to be open the series by looking at what does it mean for us Christians to see joy or to experience joy in the kingdom. Now, before I proceed, let's pause for a quick word of prayer. Dear God, we thank you for today that we can begin our worship service with and go into the part where we deliver your word. We pray that your Holy Spirit will illuminate it for us. And as we begin our new series, may this be a fruitful time. And may we you know, be moved, Lord, by this explanation of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This study on Philippians is an important time for us because this is a book written by Paul towards the end of his life. And obviously, we know a Paul who's very active, very passionate, very strong, very confident in the gospel. But we also have a Paul here who's more mature, much older, and actually in prison. So this book is special because it invites us to see a perspective of somebody who has served God through many years, who has planted many churches, who has instigated a movement of Christendom across the Roman powers. And he is now not being celebrated. He is now not being esteemed. He is not given an award. Rather, he is in prison. And I think Paul in prison shapes shapes the context of this book study. You see, as Christians, we were singing earlier, all my days I live for you. And many times it's easy to sing that when things are working out. We're passionately singing, singing that when things are going our way. But what does it look like when things go the opposite way? How can we sing all my days I live for you when things are not working out the way we want them to work out or we, we expect them to work out? And so I want to share with you, you know, this, this sermon. And primarily, it's a message for Christians. But if you're not a Christian, it may be good to listen to this so you can understand that we're not all about prosperity, getting wealthy, and you know, 
finances. So let's look at the first point. The first point that this book study introduces for us is that living for the kingdom is not easy. Living for the kingdom is not easy. Let's get out of our heads that being a Christian automatically grants you a smooth passage in life. And, you know, when we think about Christianity, when we think about conversion, when we think about the blessedness that comes with the faith, we easily imagine favor of God following us and that favor of God manifests itself in good health, big bank accounts, new cars, a prosperous life, a happy family. Now, whether or not you're a Christian, just think about it for a moment. If this is how we do the math, that if me plus my belief in God equals happiness and prosperity, how do we account for Christians who are suffering? How do we account for Christians who are sick and dying? How do we account for Christians who are poor? How do we account for Christians who come from broken families? How do we account for Christians who are not married? How do we account for Christians who don't have children? If we believe that Christianity is all about experiencing favor that leads to material wealth and prosperity, then we have to say that those who are not experiencing wealth and prosperity are not really Christian. You see, we cannot take the sugar the sweetness of our message without also swallowing the bitter pill. And so we have to be really cognizant that whenever we promise, whenever we guarantee that God's favor follows his people in the form of good health, wealth, and a prosperous life, we have to consider that we also nullify the lives of Christians who are experiencing the opposite thing. And so if you are gravitating towards a health and wellness kind of belief in Christianity, how can you account for Paul? How can you account for this book, which is a testament to the reality that living for the kingdom is not easy if you relate favor with having an easy life. You know, sometimes I've experienced sharing this angle to people and whether or not they're Christian, they react because whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, we want good energy. We want feel-good messages. We want encouragement. We want, you know, people to inspire us And normally what that looks like is just choosing to be happy. Now, I want you to consider this. I'm not trying to put you down. I'm not trying to discourage you. The Bible is not out there to be a killjoy or to explain to you that your belief system is, you know, not without merit. What we would like to tell you, what the Bible is trying to tell you here is that it is an honest, open, real message that is telling you there's a way to live life whether you experience health and wealth 
or whether you experience poverty and suffering. There's a way to overcome life, whether you're on a high or whether you're on a low. And that is why living for the kingdom is not easy because it does not give you an automatic pattern to live by that promises sure results. At this point, Paul is already in a position where he deserves all the good graces. He deserves all the great favors. He deserves all the freedom and the wealth and health that a prosperity gospel mindset promises. He sacrificed so much for the gospel. He sacrificed his life. He sacrificed, you know, being married. He sacrificed his body, his, his time. He's, you know, risked so many things for the gospel. And now at the end of it, a good movie will reward him. But this is not a Disney magical movie. This is a real Christian life sort of story. And what Paul is showing us here is that if you're a Christian, you cannot just hope, you cannot just believe that life here on earth will be easy. It can be easy, it can be hard, but either situation does not in any way dampen the Christian life. See, I've heard it, I've been given feedback that sometimes gospel preachers or reformed preachers say these things, and therefore, if they're not prosperity gospel preachers, are they, are they suffering preachers? Do we want people to suffer? Do we think that God's grace is manifested, therefore, in suffering? That's not what we're saying. But the reality is, a lot of times, even when you're not a Christian, you imagine that if God is a good God, then he is out there giving children, his children, what they want. But if you think about it, that image of God is a God who is like a genie in a bottle. And what we have here in Philippians is someone who's leading us to a God who's more real than a magical genie. He's someone who can bless us whether we are in the heights of our success or whether we are, like Paul, in the worst form of suffering. You see, rather than being esteemed, rather than being rewarded, rather than being celebrated, rather than you know being given awards, Paul is in prison and not only in prison, he is chained to you know, alternating Roman guard because he is considered so much a threat that he cannot even go to the bathroom by himself. This is the imagery of this book. Paul is not only in prison, but he is in solitary confinement. He is 24-7 chained to someone else. Wherever he goes, he has to bring somebody. And that is a Roman guard. But look at Paul. How does Paul see it? Imagine if this was you. Imagine if you were forced to a corner. And not only forced on a corner to be yourself, you're forced to be guarded by someone. How does that feel like? Any of us who are more courageous, rebellious, independent will be like, I don't need a crutch. I don't, you, don't you trust me? When someone is hounding us, when someone is connected to us, how do we feel? Suffocated. Paul wasn't only in prison to be isolated and judged. 
he was in prison and he's suffocated by being chained to someone else wherever he goes. There's no space. There's no time for him to reflect. Imagine if you were Paul and you want to read the Bible, someone is chained beside you. If you want to sing songs to God, someone is chained beside you. And that someone will not be singing the songs with you, will not be reading the Bible with you. That person thinks you're an enemy of the state. But how does Paul see this? How does Paul evaluate his situation? Look at verses 12 to 14. My situation has actually turned out, has actually turned out to advance the gospel. The whole imperial guard, because they take turns. And everyone else knows that I am in prison for the sake of Christ. And most of the brothers and sisters having confidence in the Lord because of my imprisonment, now more than ever, dare to speak the word fearlessly. Now, I want you to I want you to really understand what Paul is saying here. Do you think, you know, at, at one point, you, you, you imagine, is Paul saying the whole Roman guard is Christianized? No, that's not the thing. He's saying that all Christians are emboldened to suddenly preach the gospel. Of course, that's not what he's saying. But what he's saying is, here is how he is framing the situation. Here is how he is angling the situation. This is how he is drawing perspective of the situation. I'm in prison, chained to someone. And because someone is chained to me and they take turns, then the data will submit that all of them know that I am here because I'm a believer of Christ. And because of the other brothers and sisters who see that I, the leader of the Christian movement, is in prison and still wants to do what he does, then all the more, most, not all, will be encouraged and confident to also speak the word without fear. Brothers and sisters, here in Philippians 1, we find someone who is wise, someone who is old, someone who is about to die, giving us great nuggets of wisdom. And what he's saying here is you have to see beyond the situation. The situation is he's in prison. The situation is he's in chains. The situation is we are in a pandemic. The situation is we are sick. The situation is we are poor. The situation is we are in debt. The situation is we are sinful. But if you have the right framing, if you can frame the situation from the perspective of the gospel, then you will see that whatever situation you're in, whether good or bad, in this case, it was bad for Paul, it can be turned for good. So am I saying that you know God's favor does not lead to something good? That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying is let's go beyond the situation. Whether you're in a good situation where you are actually healthy and wealthy, praise God for that, but go beyond that situation. Because many of us get stuck in the situation. And whether it's good or bad, that's actually making it harder for you. You know why? Let me tell you this. Living for the kingdom is not easy. If you experience success in the kingdom, if you experience greatness in the kingdom, if you experience 
favor in the kingdom, you know that's not going to be easy for you. You know why? Because every time you experience another chapter of success, if you get stuck in that situation, you will long for it when times get tough. And I've seen this happen to many you know, Christians, whether they're pastors or just ministry people. Many of us get stuck in the glorious experience of a ministry setting where we were very successful. So when we, we always think, oh, there was a time I served. And when I served, the ministry grew, the church grew. And so we get stuck in the situation. And you know what we do? We think that if I just apply the same principles I learned during that growth phase to my situation today, then it will be successful. Only to realize that it does not work that way. And no matter what strategy you employ, no matter if you put in the same points and key results that you want, some, suddenly the equation still doesn't add up. Your new ministry setting is proving less successful than before. What happens? Either you blame the other people in your team, you blame other people who don't share the same vision as you, or you start to begin to question your capacity and your identity as a leader. And so you could have a good life. You could have a successful Christian life. But if you're just stuck in the situation, brothers and sisters, that's not going to be easy for you. It's not going to be easy for you, especially when you know life has its ups and life has its downs. And the opposite is true. If you're stuck in a situation where it's you know, poor, when it's hard, when it's challenging. And I've also seen this happen. You actually experience an upgrade. You actually experience a good thing. You actually experience a beautiful thing in your life. Sometimes we don't know how to handle it. So people who come from broken families, sometimes they end up in a relationship where somehow there's no shouting, there's no fighting, there's no uh, bickering, there's no bitterness. And somehow you feel it's weird, it's not real. And then rather than developing and nourishing the relationship, you just ruin it. And so I want you to know that living in the kingdom is not easy. We have to go beyond the situation we are in to actually frame our lives. And that is what Christianity is offering. It gives you an opportunity to shape and provide you a worldview, how to see the world, how to see your situation, because that how you see the situation will ultimately define whether you're going to experience joy in the kingdom. Now, let me move into the second point and give you more bad news. The second point is, ideally, the church and the Bible gives you a frame of mind a worldview, uh, uh, an angle, a perspective that helps you, you know, explain life better. But the reality is, even within the church are different motives, different personalities, different interpretations, and different results. And rather than making it life easy for the kingdom, it will also still make it harder. That's why sometimes, you know, my Muslim friends, they're telling me, you know, you're a Christian, you have God, you have Jesus, 
but you have Baptists, you have Pentecostals, you have Charismatics, you have Reformed peoples, you have Roman Catholics, you have all these different denominations, and they're all Christian, but they're all fighting against each other. Where us in Islam, we have Allah, we have the Quran, and that's it. And that's actually a very powerful statement because how can you defend against that? How can you defend against the reality that, yes, there are different denominations, and now you even have growing denominations that are more independent, and now you come to a religion that has only one God, one book, and that's it. No denominations, no differing opinion, no different interpretations. It's just one. It's going to be hard. And so some more bad news is that even in the church are not only different, denominations in the church are also different motives different motives you have people who believe the gospel you have people you're journeying with in the church who say they get the gospel but without any of us knowing inside their hearts are really different motivations some of us are really here because of love some of us are here because of a, a, of a lack that we think christianity will fill some of us are here because of, um, you know, a desire that if we serve God, maybe God will bless us in return. And look at Paul. How, has this, how does he define the setting he's in? In Philippians 1, 15 to 18, some are preaching Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do so from love, the former from selfish ambition. What is the result? What is the result? And here, Paul gives us a, a good perspective how to answer the question of a Muslim brother or sister or friend. Only that in every way, Christ is being proclaimed, and in this, I rejoice. So what Paul is saying here, if someone's preaching Christ out of selfish disambition, someone preaching Christ because he truly loves people, whatever happens, whatever form, whatever style, Christ is being preached, and that makes me joyful. What do we find here? What we find here is that, again, given the reality and imperfect nature of even a humanly run institution like the church, Paul is saying, you know what? Whether they preach with a good heart or whether they preach with a bad motivation, the important thing is the gospel is preached. And you know what? The first point I alluded to, you know, churches who employ the prosperity gospel. But the second point is really alluding to churches like us who are more gospel-centered, who are more reformed, who think by having the correct doctrine, we automatically get in God's favor. But what are we learning here? Paul is teaching us we're wrong again. Paul is challenging us to see that it is not our doctrinal stance it is not our worship style it is not our taglines or our jargon even if they're gospel centered that should give us joy there is something else that we must focus on and before i go to the third point i want you to think about this here we don't have a young brazen active courageous paul here we have a seasoned paul here we have an older Paul 
Here we have a Paul who's suffering in prison. And now he's being interviewed. Now he's, he's sharing his life. Now we're learning from his perspective. And we better pay attention because many of us right now are young. Many of us right now are brazen. Many of us are committed to the gospel. But Tito Paul is teaching us something very important here. And what is Tito Paul teaching us? Tito Paul is teaching us, you know what? Pick your battles. Pick your battles. Don't make it a big deal whether that person is under this you know, denomination or whether he is independent or whether they're employing you know, all these different strategies. The important thing is Christ is being preached. Christ is being preached. That's the important thing. Again, Paul is not saying don't worry about whether that person is just charismatic or just reformed or just preaching the gospel or just preaching something else. He's saying the important thing is if they're preaching Christ, then I'm joyful. What he's saying here it is, is it is possible. What we learn here is it is possible that no matter what track of Christianity you come from, some of you listening to me right now may have come from a Roman Catholic tradition. Some of you have, may have grown up in a Reformed tradition like me. Some of you may have come from a Pentecostal tradition. Some of you may have come from a charismatic tradition or maybe no tradition at all. But what Paul is teaching us here, it doesn't matter what tradition you come from. It doesn't matter what tradition you'll be part of. But if you are preaching Christ and his gospel, then the, that is the most important thing. And that should give you joy. The problem is today, People are preaching in a charismatic fashion. People are preaching in a reformed fashion. And we all argue with each other. And that destroys our testimony to the people from other faiths. Because what was meant to be a diversity that allows for the communication of the gospel in different contextualized forms is being used instead to divide us. And if division is the norm, then we have no business in preaching Christ. But if in diversity, we can preach Christ and different people will hear it and different people will be helped by it according to the, you know, the perspective that they have, then that's great. So yes, we're reformed. Yes, we have good relationships with our, we want to have good relationships with our denomination and other like-minded pastors and Christians. But we also want to form the same fellowship, the same closeness, the same love with people from other denominations, mega churches, charismatics, Pentecostals, Roman Catholics. We want to make sure that we're also being friends and in good fellowship with them because as long as we're leading each other to preach Christ, that's the important thing. And that's why Paul is teaching us, you know what, young guys, young churches, pick your battles. Because many times we fight passionately for the banners we think are correct. But at the end, we can win the argument, but again, lose people. Don't win to lose more. Pick the battles where you can lose some, but win bigger things. And that's why it's very important for us to see that how Paul frames the situation by going beyond it and recognizing the most important thing in his life actually leads us to the third point, which really closes this cycle for us. Paul is in prison, and there are people who are stepping up to preach the gospel. Some are jealous of him, some want to be like him, but some are really doing it out of love. But for him, it doesn't matter because what matters is the gospel. And this is look at how he ends. 
Philippians 1, 19-21. For I know, I know, I'm convinced, I believe, that this will turn out for my salvation, for my deliverance, through your prayers and the help of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. For to me, living is Christ and dying is gain. Paul is not only torn between being celebrated or being in prison. He's torn where he actually says, do I live or do I die? What do I want? There's a part of me that wants to live, to continue living so I can preach the gospel more and change more lives. But there's also a part of me who wants to die already so that I can be with Christ. And what do we find here? We find here Paul teaching us, whatever it is in plenty or in lack, whatever situation God leads me in health and wellness or pain and suffering, I can go through it because whatever God brings me to is really for my deliverance. Do you believe that? You see, we, we sing songs like, all my life I live, all my days I live for you. All my days I live for God. But when God defines the pathway of our lives, can we still trust him and really stand on his truth? If God allows us to go through, you know, wealth and health. Can we still trust him? Or are we becoming blinded by these blessings? When God allows us to go through pain and suffering, do we still trust him? Or are, are we too focused on the situation? Dear brothers and sisters, here we find Paul teaching us something very important to overcome life's day. He's telling us to go beyond the situation, frame it according to the gospel that's been entrusted to you, and realize that the most important thing in our lives is Christ. And how is this possible? How is this even possible? Well, it's not like you have to will yourself to love Christ. You only have to see him. And when Jesus Christ was in this earth, you know, he lived a life that was completely devoted to the will of the Father and to the kingdom of God. Was it easy? No, it wasn't. It was a downgrade. Not only a downgrade, it was a complete wipeout. It was a bankruptcy of his heavenly wealth and status. And he emptied himself on the cross for us. And so what that is teaching us is Paul was focused on that truth of the gospel. And when he sees Jesus living life for our salvation, he says, you know what? Nothing in this life could ever really matter more than what Jesus Christ has done for me. And if you're a Christian, I want to encourage you that that is not mere lip service. Let's focus on the gospel and really eat and partake of it so much that no matter what life throws at you, whether it gives you what you want or whether it takes from you what you desire, hold on to the promise that God gave everything for you. And because of that, it is enough. Let that spirit of Jesus Christ carry you through whatever situation you're in so that you will overcome and enjoy your part in his kingdom. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to open now, our book study. And now we're tackling a book that is shorter than previous books, but yet still equally, if not more powerful and relevant to us today. Lord, we pray that as we run through Philippians, we can capture 
the mind, the heart, the wisdom of Paul who points us to you. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.